If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, Mount Hope, you know that we are in the middle of a sermon series that we are calling One Another. And it's all based on this action that Jesus took in John chapter 13. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This moment where Jesus showed us what ultimate love looks like. And the Bible says that when Jesus wanted to show his disciples the full extent of his love, he got down and he washed their feet. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you should go and love one another. And we've been talking about, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to love one another? And that first week, we talked about the fact that when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he didn't just wash the feet of the disciples who were his closest friends. He also washed the feet of the disciples who would eventually deny him, that's Peter, and betray him, that's Judas. He washed their feet as well. And we talked about well, what does that mean for us? And we said the second week, we were in Galatians 5, we, we talked about the reality that when the gospel is attacked, if you and I start ta- attacking one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we will ultimately lose the fight. And last week, we said uh, we, no one likes a cover-up culture. No one likes a culture where sin is covered up and, and overlooked. So what is the antidote to a cover-up culture? We said, well, it's not a cancel culture. It is instead... A confession culture, a body of believers where we could come together and take what's hidden in dark places and bring it to light so that it can be dealt with before it causes big problems. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to ask the question, how are you and I to respond when we are hurt by a fellow brother or sister in Christ? How are we to respond When someone within the church does harm to us or someone within the church hurts us? And that's a big question, right? Because I don't know about you, but but here's how I feel. I feel like if there's one place I should be able to go in this world and not get hurt, it's, it's the church. It's the space where I am surrounded by my brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, if there's one place I should be able to go and not experience pain and not have other people hurt me, it should be the church, right? Because this is where the Christians are. This is where the people that follow Jesus are. If there's one place I ought to be able to go in this world, I I understand I'm going to get hurt. When I walk into school, there's going to be a bully. I'm going to get hurt. When I walk into work, there's going to be people that that talk behind my back and that do things that are hurtful. I know it's going to happen out in this world, even in family. I know things are going to take place and I know uh, that, that, uh, that things are going to happen that are hurtful. But if there's one place, right, where I should be able to come and not get hurt, it's church. A number of years ago, a long time ago, I was working for somebody and this person was someone that I knew was a fellow Christian, a fellow believer in Jesus Christ. And I was doing work for him, but, but I knew that this was a job that was going to be temporary for me. So when I came to him about a year after I started working for him and I said, you know, I think it's time for me to move on. I have a new opportunity. Uh, he was obviously, he was definitely hurt. I could tell by the way that, that he responded to that, that I had known this was going to be temporary. He had hoped it wouldn't be temporary, or at least that temporary, that I would continue to work for him. But it was time for me to move on. And I said, you know, I thank you for the opportunity, but it's time for me to go. And we had a conversation where he said to me, you know, I really appreciate your work. You're doing a great job. Is there anything that I can do to keep you here? And at the end of the day, there, there wasn't. It was time to, time to go. We left that, that conversation on a good note. What happened was, is when my next employer called for a reference, 
his tone had changed dramatically. And I remember finding out from the, from the place that I was going to go next that I had gotten a very negative report. That all those positive things that he had said to me the week before to try to keep me on and working with him had changed in that week. And he was warning my, my, my potential employer about hiring me and warning, me about, warning them about the poor work that I would do. And I got to tell you that hurt me. And it would have hurt me if anybody did it. But you know what really hurt? What really bothered me, what bothered me, bothered me, bothered me is that this is a fellow believer. This is a brother in Christ who now is slandering me after just singing my praises a week earlier. And stuff like that just bothers me. And it bothers you, doesn't it? When we come into the church and we come into the gathering, we think this is the one place where we should be able to come together and not hurt one another and not talk bad about one another and not do things that cause pain against one another. But you know what happens when we come together in the church? Stick around long enough and eventually someone's going to do something that hurts you. And you know, this causes a lot of problems because we think that church is the place where we shouldn't be hurt. And we come in and we get hurt and someone does something or someone says something and it bothers us and it hurts us. And some of us, in fact, some of you, you've walked away from the church completely because you said those hypocrites I thought that was the place that I wouldn't get hurt and I got hurt. I thought that's the place no one would say anything bad about me and they said something bad about me. I thought that's the place that no one would lie and you know what? Someone lied. And we've either walked away or you're thinking about walking away or you know someone who's walked away from the whole church deal because they thought this was the place no one got hurt and they came and they got hurt. You know, the problem with that whole thing, that whole mindset, is that in order for church to be a place that no one ever gets hurt, it has to be a place filled with perfect people. And as Christians, we know we're not perfect people. We're sinners who are in a process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day. And along the way, there's going to be bumps and bruises. And along the ways, someone who calls themselves a brother or sister in Christ is going to say something that hurts me. Someone's going to do something that hurts me. Someone's going to say something to me that's not true. And the question is, what do we do in the middle of this? And there's this moment in scripture, there's this moment between Jesus and his disciples where one of his disciples, namely Peter, where Peter is struggling with this exact same thing. And he's saying, Jesus, it doesn't make sense to me that sometimes my brother sins against me. And what am I supposed to do in that moment? In fact, this is the way that Peter says it to Jesus. When he comes to Jesus and he says this. This is Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Like, how often am I supposed to do this, Jesus, Peter wants to know. How often am I supposed to let myself get hurt by someone else who calls themselves a follower of you and forgive them? And then you can see, if you know anything about Peter, Peter is, uh, he likes to be, he likes to, to be on top of things. He likes to be grandiose. And so the gears start turning in Peter's head and he thinks to himself, what number would be impressive here? And he says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Peter, you can just you see it. Peter is proud of that number. God, I'm willing to go up to seven times forgiving 
my brother who sins against me. And Jesus tries not to roll his eyes at Peter as he did so many times. And he said, I say to you, verse 22, not seven times, but 77 times. And basically what Jesus is saying back to Peter is, Peter, you think seven's a big number. Here's what I'm telling you. You should forgive your brother or sister in Christ who harms you no matter what they do an infinite amount of times. There is no limit, Peter, to how many times you should forgive your brother or sister in Christ when they hurt you. And then he tells this parable. He says, Peter, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who calls all his servants to him to repay their debts. And one servant came and he owed the king 10,000 talents. Now that, may, that number may not mean a lot to you or to me, but 10,000 talents is an absurdly large amount of number, of, of money. The, the debt that this man owed the king is completely unpayable. In fact, some scholars say it's as much as 100,000 years of labor is equal to 10,000 talents. Some, some say that, that it's as much as 200,000. I read one scholar who said that in today's money, this is worth about $3 billion is what this man owed the king. And of course he couldn't pay it. And so the king said, take this man, take his wife, take his children, throw them into hard slave labor so they can work off this debt, take everything he owns, sell it so that he can begin to repay this debt back to me. And the man falls on his face in front of the king and he says, king, have mercy on me. And the king looks at the servant and he has mercy on him and he forgives him the entire debt, the 200,000 years of labor, the $3 billion, the 10,000 talents. He forgives it and says, go, I forgive you. Well, this servant goes out and finds a a man who owes him a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred days labor, which is a, a decent amount of money, but nothing compared to what he's just been forgiven. And he goes to the man and says, pay me the money now. And the man says, I can't do it. And he begins to choke the man, Jesus says, and insist that he pay him the money. And when he can't pay, the servant has the man thrown into prison. Well, the other servants see what's happened here. He's been forgiven this huge debt and yet he's held a grudge against this man that owes him a small amount of money. And so they go back to the king and they say, your servant that you forgave did this to this man who owed him a little bit of money. And the king is, is rightfully furious and he goes to the man and he said, how could you not show the same mercy that I just showed you? And he takes the man and his family and throws them into prison until they can repay their debt. And at the end of this parable, Jesus says this. And you got to listen to this. This is what Jesus says. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, the story reminds us of two things. The story teaches us two things. One, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven an incredible debt that you could not pay. And sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we minimize it, but sometimes we forget it. The reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven an insanely large amount of debt that you could never pay on your own. From the very beginning, God set forward a law And he said, those who are my people follow this law. Those who break it are not my people. And the reality of that law is if you break one rule, you've broken the whole thing. It is an all or nothing deal. If you keep 99.9% of the law, you have broken it. And most of us can't get to the third commandment without already having realized that we have broken the law. 
And so the reality is that we have this debt. Our breaking the law separates us from God, not just here and now, but for all eternity. And there is no possible way that we could undo that. No possible way that we could fix that on our own. But God in his mercy sends Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to forgive us for our sins, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, will not perish. Some of us learned it, but will have everlasting life. And that's the deal that God has forgiven you and me this incredible amount of debt. That's the first thing we reminded in this story, that we're the ones that owed 10,000 talents and God forgave us. And the second thing that we're reminded of in this story is that the person who ends up in prison at the end is the person who refuses to forgive. Sometimes we feel like if we don't extend forgiveness to a brother or sister in Christ, if we don't uh, look across the church and extend forgiveness, that we are, we feel like we're putting that person where they belong. We feel like we're putting them in prison, just like this man did. That we look across the sanctuary and we see the person and we say, I know them. They're not a real Christian because of what they said three years ago. Or we look on stage and we say, I don't understand how that person is up there on the worship team leading worship because five years ago, they said X to me or they did, they did Y to somebody else. And so I know they're not a real Christian. And we start to hold all of these grudges and all of these thoughts against our brothers and sisters in Christ and the church. And what Jesus is saying is you think you're the one putting them in prison, but really Really, you are putting yourself in prison by holding that grudge against them. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He said it this way. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And when Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother who sinned against me? Should I forgive them an impressive seven times? And Jesus says, you should forgive them an infinite amount of times. And Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. They are both saying the same thing to you and to me. Jesus went first and forgave us an incredible debt so that you and I can go second. Jesus went first and forgave you so that you and I can go second and forgive others. I wanted to come up with a big list of how to forgive other people. In fact, I started to read lists and I saw a list by Chuck Swindoll and I saw a list by Focus on the Family and I, I saw all of these lists of how to forgive. And to be quite honest, some of them had five steps, some of them had 11 steps, some of them had eight steps, but really it all came down to the same thing that this parable teaches us and that Paul teaches us. And I think it's just two steps. If you want to forgive your brother or sister in Christ, if you're going to get to this place where you can forgive an infinite amount of times, you have to receive God's grace and forgiveness so then you can go and give it. It's just two steps. You have to come into God's presence and receive his grace and forgiveness and then you can go and give it. And if you're having trouble going and forgiving then the reality is you probably haven't gone and truly received. Because when we go into God's presence, we are reminded over and over again, the closer we get to God, how far away from him we really are. If you and I were to rank 
people in their closeness to God. And we created a chart and we put God at the top of the chart. And we said, okay, who's on the first rung next to God? We might come up with names like Mother Teresa and, and Billy Graham. And we might put them there. The Apostle Paul wrote over half the New Testament and planted all the churches. But where would Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, and Paul put themselves? They wouldn't put themselves on that top rung. They would put themselves all the way down at the bottom. Because the reality is the closer you are to God, the more you recognize just how far away from him you are and how great the debt has been that you have been forgiven. Paul called himself the worst of all sinners and he planted all the churches. He wrote over half the New Testament and yet he calls himself the worst of all sinners. Why does he do that? Because he was close to God and the closer he got to God, the more he realized how much he had been forgiven. And then when he realized how much he had been forgiven, he could go and forgive others, especially those in the church who had harmed him. In the Second World War, there was a family in Holland. It was the Ten Boom family. And the family was a family of Christians and they housed Jews in their house and they paid a, a steep price for doing that. Four of the family members were killed and two of the daughters, Betsy and Corey, they were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Betsy died in that camp and the surviving member of the family, Corey, who had grown up in this family that was Christians housing Jews and paid this terrible price for doing so. She started to tour churches and talk about God's forgiveness. And she was in a church in Germany once and at the end of her talk on forgiveness, God put her to the test as she says it. As she was exiting the room, a man started walking toward her and she recognized him as one of the cruelest guards in Ravensbrück concentration camp. And he walked up to her and I want to read to you what she says happened. He said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück but since that time, I have become a Christian. He explained that he had sought God's forgiveness for the cruel things he had done. He extended his hand to Corey and asked, will you forgive me? Corey Ten Boom said, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. The message that God forgives, she writes, has a condition that we will forgive those who have injured us. Help me, I prayed silently. Listen to what she prays to the Lord. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, springed into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Jesus went first forgave you your sin so that you might be able to go second and forgive your brother or sister in Christ who has harmed you. Who is the person 
Who is the person that sits across from you in church? Who is the person that you know when the church comes back together as a whole in person, it's going to be hard for you to see? Who is the Christian that you knew five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that you have been holding a grudge against because they're not a real Christian because of what they said about you or what they did about you? And you might be looking at me and you might be saying, Pastor, listen, listen, you don't know how hard it was. You don't know the pain that that person caused me. You don't know the the loss that I felt because of what they did. I'm not trying to downplay how hurtful other people's actions can be. But what I do know is that the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ frees you up to forgive. Whether they ask for it or not, whether they deserve it or not, doesn't mean you minimize what they did. Doesn't mean you fully forget what they did. But it does does mean that you say, as I have been forgiven in Christ, as I have received grace, so I give it to you so that you're not the one who ends up in prison. You know, we think church should be the place. We think it should be the place where this stuff doesn't happen. But it does. Because we are sinners saved by an incredible God. And we're all trying to become more like Jesus Christ, the spirits at work within us. And along the way, we're going to bump into each other and someone's going to say things and someone's going to do something and someone's going to hurt you from within the church. The church is not a place where no one gets hurt. The church is a place where incredible grace and mercy and forgiveness is received and given. So have you received the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ? Are you going into God's presence and daily coming before him and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and recognizing the glory of God and the reality of our sin and how far we are away and living and and in the glory of the reality that we are forgiven and that we are made whole through Jesus Christ? Are you daily going in God's presence and experiencing that? Because if you do, if you receive that, then you will be able to go and give it to those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, who you need to forgive. Jesus went first so that you can go second. Who is the person Who is the person that you've been holding this grudge since last week, since they posted something on social media yesterday, since they did that thing two years ago, since 10 years ago you heard them say something, since 20 years ago you had a run-in with them at the church? Who is the person that today, because of how God has forgiven you, you need to forgive? Can you imagine if we did this well? In a world that holds grudges, in a world that cancels people out, if brothers and sisters in Christ came in together and didn't minimize the hurt, didn't minimize the pain, but said in spite of that reality, because of the grace I have received through Jesus, I am going to extend this to you. If we were truly to become the light of the world and a city on a hill, this is the sort of thing that we need to do. To realize that Jesus went first so that we can go second. Go and live in that forgiveness.